you have tuned into Surviving Fundamentalism, a podcast with Richie X, where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, you most likely mm, probably will have a problem with this shit here. But it's okay. It's okay. Grab you a little wine for the stomach's sake. Tap in. Tune in. Let's have a good time. X, and this is Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, most definitely gonna have a problem with this shit. Um, this is the podcast where we deconstruct, where we discuss, where we dive in. Uh, we just finished our uh, Biblical Literalism, a Gentile Heresy series that we've been on for the last uh, four weeks, I believe. Um, so much was shared, so much was talked about uh, during uh, this time, uh, and it was a it was a it was a beautiful experience, and I hope you all enjoyed that experience as well as you know me sharing my story. Particularly, I felt really moved last episode, um, particularly as we the last two episodes, the one before that we discussed. Um, the 10 ways to know that you're in a cult. Um, and the one after that we discussed uh, about how, specifically about how the church is doing the job, doing the work of the white supremacist capitalist male patriarchy, right? And and and, and that's essentially why it goes unchecked. Um, and so... You know, just I've been thinking about that so much um, and I've been seeing it everywhere. I've been seeing it um, in so many different things that I'm catching, that I'm that I'm realizing. Right. That's uh, it's, it's just I'm watching things and I'm seeing people and particularly religious people or people who post things and I'm just like wow the church really really is um is is playing a role I saw a video about um a missionary who uh went to Ethiopia to spread the word and and um, as you know, Ethiopia has a thousand-year-old Bible. They've had the Bible there, and they have, uh, I believe, Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity, if I'm not mistaken. And, and and they they have had their version of, you know, what was delivered to them forever, right? And this missionary went over there trying to teach these people, and they beat the man, honey. Beat the man down. Beat him to a pulp. Next thing you know, the, his people was coming to collect his things. Chocolate had then sent the man to the hospital. And I started to think about, and it was another video of a of a Mormon missionary that was going to be going to that territory. And I was just thinking, just this is why religion is allowed to go unchecked because of the role that it plays in really sort of de- defining, right, you know, I, I think of, 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 of something I learned in high school uh, history, you know, this sort of divine right, you know, and this is this is like it literally the religious dynamic literally uh, came to be um, the Christian religious dynamic in this country um, really came to be the the sort of founding knowledge of or or founding this sort of collection of ideas of why certain people have the power that they have and if you become a secular state um that is educated and allowed to critically think and people are the people are given particular rights then those who hold the power lose their power 
And the church plays a very particular role in this. Not as much as, you know, other religions, but yes, Christianity in itself, in its, its, its structuring as a whole, plays a role in it. And the black church has its own particular role that it plays in bringing in the same sort of Christian values of the white supremacist male patriarchy, capitalist male patriarchy. The black church is playing the role to legitimize or, 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 uh, to, to one demonize blackness, right? And to, to, to demonize any sort of behaviors that would make one radical, right? You know, it is conditioning to force black people into being more and more anti-black, anti-us, anti-people, anti-poor. The goal, right, is to have an institution that's going to train Negroes to be better versions of themselves, but still not address the class issues, not necessarily fully address the race issues, definitely not the class issues. And, and, and so, so this sort of white Christianity has a goal and it is not for the people. And, it, and, and it's a shield. It literally is an opiate for 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 uh, the masses uh, uh, of people who are uh, following, or even people who aren't following. Many of us in this culture and society are shaped by it. Are shaped by its ideas, particularly even in how the large the role the black church has played in um, a lot of our movements. A lot of our movements, you know, the black church is the conditioner of the Negro. Um, and the goal is to align the Negro up with white supremacist, capitalist, uh, patriarchal ideas um, and make the Negro good enough to be good enough to get along. Make the Negro a great employee by using scriptures about slavery about obeying those who have rule over you. So if you make them a good church member, you make you you inherently make them good everything else. If you make them a good student of the Bible, you have you have uh the scripture where the apostle Paul says uh that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Um you know, uh there there you know, so there's just like this constant preaching against intellectualism preaching uh, for obedience, preaching for um, uh, this, this, this idea of, of being, this way of being. Even look at the attire of, of most churches, right? And particularly black churches. Um, most of them has been this sort of very structured attire. They're, they're, it, a lot of the basis of it is about being a presentable Negro. And so we know this, and that was a big part of what we discussed last week. And um, very, very interesting. You know, this this episode will probably be a little off the grid, but um, you know, yeah, it's it's a real thing. It's a thing to think about. It's a thing to think about. And I don't know. Um. Although there has been sex, you know, little movements, I think movements that can be beneficial um, for creating a healthy, um, a theologically healthy um, movement of black people. But I don't know that in a society where we are all, um, you know, just sort of groomed and raised by white supremacy, capitalism, all of our structure, all of our ideas kind of fit into this thing. If we could even have this healthy environment and what does it look like? 
because any time that it's been even remotely attempted by any sort of organization, it's 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 always um, impacted and dismantled. So what does that look like? And what does a healthy, what does a black organization with a healthy theology um, and a healthy, healthy relationship to the poor and working class look like? Um, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Um, but I know that every um, evangelical church that I've been to, um, even those that I've tried to incorporate myself into, all have bad theology mixed in. Um, all of them are reading the Bible through a literalist lens. Um, none of these preachers, um, not I won't say none, but a lot of them are not being led by love. Many of them are, are being led by a literalist view, bigoted views. And many of them are using the text to to get to really push their own agenda they're using it as a proof text to to push an ideology um and 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 that's where you are going to lose any rational thinking person particularly anybody that's doing the work to be actively anti-homophobic actively anti um uh, white supremacy, uh, you know, anybody that's doing the work to be anti-misogynist, uh, misogyny, you know, uh, anybody that's doing that work to unpack um, and to dismantle these terrible ideas that we've been fed um, is not going to be able to comfortably sit in these environments. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I think it's possible. I think you have some ministers that, that are doing the work. Um, but I, I think that we have a history that's very complex um, in our history of black people in the black church. Um, you know, we have a history, an unhealthy history um, with women being in position of authorities, of authority, right, in the church, right? And so... Again, proof texting is used, shutting down women preachers and women in authority and women empower people, you know, biblical literalism and people are doing what they do. Same thing with queer people who are, you know, same gender loving people, trans people. There's these, there's the same thing, you know, this sort of proof texting, texting people picking up verses and using those verses to to sort of launch bigotry at other people and shame them um and 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 really to sort of say you don't get to exist in this space you don't get to be loved by our god not as you are you don't get to be safe in this space because this space is for us the people who fit into um, our normal ideas of what family is, our normal ideas of what of the power structure is, though you don't get to fit into that. You don't fit into that. You're weird. You're othered. And there are very few spaces that exist, but they do exist. And there are affirming churches, affirming organizations. There are some churches who are open and loving and kind and are having the hard conversations, are discussing the things, and they're doing that work. The thing is, is that they're few and far in between. Um, and, you know, I think we pre-pandemic, we were seeing... And even pandemic in general, pre-pandemic, we were seeing a mass exodus of young people from the church uh, leaving the church. And then I think we're still seeing that because of the lack of access to the physical building during the pandemic, right? And people are having a lot more time to sit at home. I know for me, I spent a lot of 2020 reading, um, really reading, reading books about you know, Pentecostal preachers who became atheists, reading a book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Um, I've read a lot of material in 2020. Um, some Eckhart Tolle, um, The Power of Now, um, some Elin Harris, you know, some fictional stuff. But I let a lot, I've read a lot of books that um, caused me to sit alone with a lot of reason, 
a lot of thoughts, a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, and, you know, even if you're not reading, you're still spending more time than you would out of the church if you are a regular churchgoer. So there's going to be a lot of questioning and a lot of challenges. Um, so I, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey and I want to see, you know, where we go from here, you know, where I, 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 Honestly, like I said, this this is kind of like a free for all episode. So I I'm wondering, right? I'm personally going through, you know, like kind of a pandemic burnout. You know, like working from home. You know, just emotional things, and then you know, Mercury is in micro braids again, and it's a lot. It's a lot going on, and I'm 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 just wor- I'm wondering, um, you know, what's going on. You know, and I'm and I'm wondering what's gonna happen, and many of us are right, and everybody's taking it differently. Some people are choosing to stick their middle finger to the pandemic and and say fuck the mask and fuck that vaccine, and I'm not doing it. Some people are saying we're gonna wear the mask, but we ain't getting no vaccine, and some people are like I ain't doing none of that shit. Um, you're fucking with my civil liberties, and people are frustrated, people are angry, and people are confused particularly people who are in a first world country, this particular first world country, right? Confused in, in a fucking world, you know, but you know, people like me, I'm fully vaccinated and I've, you know, and I mask and, and sanitize and, you know, and, and so I, as somebody, I'm just, I just want the world to feel good. I, I Not the world, but, the world, but yes, but like, I want to feel normal. I want to feel free. I want to feel like I felt in 1996. <laughs> I want to feel joy. I want to feel like youthful joy again. I want to feel like I'm okay. And that's personal, right? It, it It's it's whatever, but in context of the church and what it's going to look like moving forward post-pandemic, who knows? Who knows? I I I know I'm going to say this much on air. I've said this before to my friends, but I said in 2019 that there was a revival coming. I predicted that there would there was going to be a this is even before we knew anything about a pandemic. Uh I knew I sensed in 2018 actually that there was going to be a revival coming. Didn't know how it was going to come. Didn't know where it was going to come from. But the turmoil of our world right now in this global pandemic is creating a fresh breeding ground for more evangelical fundamentalism to be birthed. I'm literally seeing it. People are afraid because what they do know is that they're feeling the pressure of the world and they're feeling the same fears and the same burnout that all of us are feeling. But there is a people that are going to the church, whereas this is literally like going to be a cultural reset. And the church is going to use the aftermath of this thing to to grow its membership. It's the same as they did, you know, after the 70s. You know, when the disco when the disco shit start closing down and you know, the AIDS virus came along and the AIDS pandemic epidemic came along and and the crack epidemic and what did the church do? The church used it to to literally grow mega churches. <laughs> Um, you know, that fear that you're going to get the bug, you know, you're going to get the thing. The thing is going to get you. The boogeyman is going to get you. The boogeyman is out to get you. And, and the church is going to use that to its advantage to grow its space and to sort of try to pull people back in. And there's going to be a lot of clever ways in which people engage 
It's going to be a little different, but they're going to still be engaging and using a lot of those same tactics to bring in the numbers. And fear is going to be one of those things. You don't know. Any day you could die and you want to be make sure you're on the right side of heaven. You know, you want to make sure you 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 on the right team. You know, who's on the Lord's side? You know, it's 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 going to be um you know, that kind of existence and that kind of space. And and so I think the churches there's going to be a revival, there's going to be a resurgence of people wanting something different. This is the breeding ground for a revival. Because everybody's afraid. Everybody's confused. No one knows what's going to happen. No one knows what to do. People are dying. It's it's literally breeding ground for revival. If you're a door-knocking evangelist, evangelizing, knocking on doors in the streets, like if this is your time, th- this is your time. This is your time because the people are fearful and they don't know what's going to happen. It was different because before this, motherfuckers was comfortable. They was legit cool. They was le- The world was legit just functioning. People was going to work every day. Gas prices was like 218. Niggas was legit chilling. Like we was really out here living our lives and then boom. A deadly virus. Again. You know, and bigger than any other epidemic pandemic that we've ever faced. That we know of, right? So it's this is bigger. This 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 is a breeding ground for revival. The South is going to have one of the largest revivals and it's going to be, I know God saved me. I know God brought me out because I had coronavirus and God delivered me. And now I don't have no symptoms. Ebo Shaddai. You know, it's going to be, this is, it's, there is literally going to be revival. And the South is going to be getting in the South and it will spread abroad, particularly to the Midwest and to, um, the Upper West Coast, and you you'll know that you heard it here. <laughs> you'll know that you heard it here. Um, uh, you know, gospel music is going to bloom again. Uh, contemporary uh, Christian concerts are going to bloom again. Like I said, the approach is going to be a little bit more differently because they're not gonna they're gonna want to not sound so white supremacy. <laughs> they're gonna want to not sound. They're gonna take the messages of what 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 black people have said that they need. Um, some of these churches are going to get really clever and they're going to take the messages of the streets and the Black Lives Matter movements to sort of um, to grow their churches ethnically. You're going to see it. It's going to it's going to be similar to to Rod Parsley. Um, you know, they're going to they're going to start they'll be you know, slightly culturally appropriating, but not like super duper Paula White because that's too much, right? But they're going to be bending their space and time to be more and more, uh, you know, black, black adjacent. Um, They're going to bend their politics a little bit, but they're still going to be you know, bringing up a generation of people who are going to be biblical literalists and people who are going to, in turn, have more children, people who are going to get married again, and then the cycle, people who are going to get married and have have children very early, and, and, um, and then the Bible college numbers will go up, and then... You know, and then we'll be here again in 30 plus years. Uh, You know, 40 years ago, 40 years again, we'll be back here um, having these same, you know, they'll be having conversations of there's a mass exodus. The youth are leaving the church again. But like white supremacy is so, it, it literally aims to protect itself in every way, in every facet. And all these things are tied together as a mechanism of protection so that the system literally replenishes itself if it fails. 
Um, always, always does, always does, particularly when the youth began to stretch out a little too far out of the scope of what they believe the white youth should be doing. When the white youth, there's too much. We don't want them to really know what is happening to them. We don't really want the poor to know how poor they are. We want these people to continue or to morph or to develop into people who will continue to vote against their own interests. And what better to do that than, than indoctrination, than the brainwashing of white supremacist capitalist male patriarchy, particularly through the lens of Christianity. Watch and see. Let us go on to our clip of the week. Got a good one for you from our good sister, uh, Melissa Stewart, over here on the um, uh, Tick of the Talk. And her uh, name is uh, Lisa Joe Stewart. I don't know. Love the sinner, hate the sin. I hate that phrase with my entire being. Love the sinner, hate the sin is most often wielded against queer people. I believe being gay is sinful. I believe that the way that you love is sufficient to send you to an eternity of torment and hell. And because I love you, I have to tell you every opportunity that I can, that I think that your lifestyle is sinful, that I think you're going to hell, that I think that your consensual and committed relationship between two adults is an abomination. I couldn't possibly keep my opinions to myself because if I keep my opinions to myself, you might think that I approve. And if you think that I approve, that I'm not doing my part to save your soul. And if that upsets you, if my words are hurtful to you, if you feel ostracized or attacked, that's not on me, that's on you. All I did was share the word of God. That's what love the sinner, hate the sin looks like. You cannot love somebody if all you see is a soul to rescue from hell. You cannot love somebody if all you see is a soul to rescue from hell. You know, I, I thought about this before, like the, the act of saving souls, right? We save souls. I used to be an evangelist, um, a very good one at that, um, which is surprising giving my no divergence. But I think because of the way that I've always been able to witness people, experience people, in turn, it gave me a lens into how to relate to them. And I was always able to find that in. And once, you know, anybody who knows the idea of the act of selling something or, um, you know, sales, it's really once you find the in and you can hook that person, you can literally make them buy anything you sell it. Um, and you know, I was really good at, at winning souls and, um, getting, not only bringing them to church, but getting them baptized, getting them, bringing them down to the altar so that we could pray them through so that they could have a experience with, uh, what I believe to be the divine and, 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 and then live their lives actively in church. <laughs> like I was teaching 10 week Bible studies. I used to set my chart up in, in community college and teach Bible studies um, and, and really helping people get this sort of active relationship with the God of my understanding. You know, and I believe that that was the will of God for my life and theirs, um, particularly once they received the word at my mouth and repented of their sins and was baptized and, and received uh, the gift of the spirit. Um, so, you know, I, 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 it's very interesting, the business of like winning souls, because like, it, it, it really isn't ever really about the person. It's not about the person. It's about convincing them, right? Selling them what you have, getting them to the water, guilting them 
into repenting or asking God for forgiveness or asking the church even in some um, extensive, you know, some, some instances, you know, asking the church, asking God for forgiveness, you know, moving into that sort of space. Um, and it really is never about the person. You know, I think about where Jesus said, um, bring me your disabled, your, your, you know, the, the poor, the, the, the broken, the downtrodden, like the worst of them all. And I will dine with them. I think of that. Well, well, you know, the text says that Jesus said, but you know, you know, just that whole story there, which is like, I'm coming for what's broken. You know, that's supposed to be the mission of this thing. Right. But it's never really about the people and their conditions and what the institution can do to provide for the people. The church is on every corner and everybody's having services, multiple services a week. But how many of them are actually fully community organizations that are made with the sole intention of saving their community, saving the least of these, helping the least of these, not their souls, which is something that virtually you can't see, right? That That is literally just the energy there, the energy of their presence, right? But no, literally rescuing people who need rescuing. I don't, it's not happening. It's not a part of the church. It's not a part of what the church does. In some places, yeah, you know, you're like, my church has a multicultural center and we be feeding people. Yeah, like, you know, y'all do y'all little breakfasts, you know, y'all little give the homeless a bunch of clothes, you know, and, and that's that. <laughs> Essentially, you know, like, that's what y'all be doing for the world. But, like, really... You know, what is the goal of the gospel? What is it? What truly is the goal of the institution? What is it? I'm asking y'all. Like, what is the goal of the Christian institution, the Christian church? It's not a safe space for most of the marginalized people. It's not. It's not a safe space for black people. It's not a safe space for the, for the poor people. It's not a safe space for the uh, sexually promiscuous. It's not a safe space for the homosexual. It's not a safe space for the trans um, people is not a safe, not a safe space for trans people, not a safe space for non-binary people. It's not a safe space for disabled people. It's not a safe space for women in most places. It's not a safe space. All of that ideology and the bullshit that y'all be preaching and talking about in these places are literally demonizing the least of these. The people that the text says that Jesus wanted to dine with. Y'all hate poor people. Y'all hate children. I can tell you hate children because we don't protect them. Y'all hate old people. Y'all loathe disabled people. Y'all hate homosexuals. Y'all hate trans people. You literally despise them and you do it in the name of Jesus. So what is the point of y'all coming together? It's not about creating community, particularly in black churches. It's not about fostering a safe, healthy community for everybody. It's not. The institution is serving something. What are y'all serving? Because it ain't this Jesus that Matthew talked about was trying to turn 
that which was profane into that which is holy. And I'm not talking about holy in the sense of the prestigious or the the sanctity of this idea of what you all think is holiness, which is a whole bunch of unnatural ass um abstaining from a bunch of things that y'all don't really abstain from that y'all backslide in order to experience just so y'all can go back to church or y'all flirt with the ideas of the things or mess around a little bit and repent. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about what is the purpose of the institution. And I'm asking you because I've been in a lot of churches. I started out Baptist Converted to a Baptist church, ended up in the Apostolic Pentecostal church, went to a cult, back Baptist, non-denominational, because I was trying to figure out who's doing the work. Who's doing the work? Y'all don't even want people to be critical thinkers. Y'all don't even want people to go to therapy. Y'all are not offering, these places are not institutions where people can get the help that they need. So you gather and you pay tithes. You pay a tenth of your income to a place. Money which many of us cannot afford to give because we are already poor. We're already working class. For an institution to, to help you Govern all the parts of your life that nine times out of ten don't need as much governing as everything else. You don't need you don't need to pay nobody 10% of what you make for them to tell you what you can and cannot do. I could have spent the last 20 years in therapy to keep it a bean. Spending 20 years dealing with religion, I could have spent that in therapy. Had I gone to therapy at 14, 13, 12, had I spent those years actively seeing a therapist, my life would have been in a whole different space. Healing could have began for me very early. And while I, I'm a person that kind of believes that, that, you know, all things are lessons. I'm also somebody that's a realist, and I really understand that if had I began an active work in therapy at the age of 12, 13, 11, when I started visiting and going to church, my life would be in a very different space. So I'm 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 really thinking about this whole thing and like, yo, y'all is, <laughs> what's the purpose? Because you know I I think of I think of I think of when they asked Nina Simone what freedom was, and she said no fear. Freedom is no fear. And I remember a, a big part of my deconstruction journey was I had a friend who told me, you are not truly going to be free until you stop being afraid that you're going to go to hell. She said, that little church thing, that's going to stay on your ass until you stop being afraid to go to hell. And I was like, Wow, and I had to really think about that, <laughs> and I and I've since deconstructed even my own con my con the concept of hell I was taught, um, not even a thing for me at this point, but you know it's 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 all interesting, but yeah, freedom is no fear. But yeah, I, I, I do be, I be thinking about that though. I be thinking like, yo, y'all love the sinner, hate the sin. That's weird. The whole concept is like weird. It's like weird. Like how can you hate something that's a part of my existence? Like what gives you the right to be like, oh, I love you, but I hate this thing because this 2,000 year old book 
that I've never dissected, that I don't speak the languages that it was written in, but I assume that I know everything because based off of what my pastor teaches and I read it for myself and I apply a literalist point of view to it, I think that the way you live your life is wrong. That has nothing to do with what the purpose of your gospel is supposed to be. Y'all are demons. <laughs> Y'all are demons. Nobody can convince me otherwise. Y'all are demons and y'all are playing a role. Y'all are connected to the institution of white supremacy and y'all are playing a role, a very, very large role in um, uh, in creating, continuing to create a divide and a gap within the margins. Y'all, y'all are fucked up and that's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. Y'all treat all these marginalized groups like shit in the name of your God. Y'all are weirdos. Y'all are weirdos. And it's just the truth. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's the truth. And it's, it's, it's something that we, that people need to start talking about. And that's just that. And I'm going to be right back after these messages. Oh, whatever. Hello, 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 hello. It's me, Richie X, coming to you with a very special announcement. I'm here to tell you about another podcast. It's called Life is But a Vacuum. It's a podcast with uh, Richie X, myself, and Nessa. We talk about the sick, sad world of pop culture. We talk about shame and love and forgiveness and and so many more topics. Emotional incest, the flip side of emotional incest. We talk about need-based relationships. We are diving into so many different types of topics over there. Most of all, we like to have fun. We like to have a cocktail. We like to do it up. So I'm here to introduce uh, Life is But a Vacuum. Make sure that you check us out over there as well. back or whatever once again this is richie x the right reverend and this is the podcast surviving fundamentalism the podcast where if your god ain't bigger than your bible then you most likely most definitely gonna have a problem with this shit so you know we're moving on to our story time segment and um i wanted to take a minute just sit right here um no i wanted to talk about you know, I, last week I left off telling, uh, you know, my story. And I promised you all that I would tell you, you know, get up to the point of me leaving the cult um, that I was a part of. I was deep in. And if you don't know, um, you can go back a couple episodes ago. And I talked about what it was like being in that cult existing and, and like having to to you know, just all the ways of like being in a cult and realizing that you're in a cult and like needing to get the fuck out. So I think I'm at this point where I just came out. Um, and I came out of the, I came out to a stranger. I did say that last week. Um, and so like many other people, once I came out and began to live outwardly at school, I was still very much like, I think unsure. Like I struggled. I talked about, you know, standing on the train tracks and wanting to commit suicide. I just struggled because every time I tried to go back to church, who I knew I was at the core of my being did not match this sick environment where I was literally being tortured. Um, and like, like mentally and spiritually being tortured by, um, people who were supposed to be leading, um, who were supposed to be spiritual, who, you know, use terminology, faggots, beasts, dogs, animals, all of these terms to relate to people who are same gender loving, 
um, Yastis are men who had multiple affairs on their wives, men who um, had been sued for um, uh, having sex or sexually trying to entice people that they worked with in the mental health field. People, these are people who were literally sexual deviants who were using the pulpit or the platform to demonize gay people in a way that was mentally and spiritually so toxic to me that it led me to wanting to die, that it would be easier if I just fell in front of a train than if I were to exist in that much pain. And I wrestled. I wrestled for a while, went back in the closet, um, and, you know, and my friends just kind of respected me wherever I was, you know, whatever I was doing, <laughs> whatever was happening. They loved me, and they was there for me if I was dating a guy, if I was dating a girl. You know, I would later come out as pansexual, but originally when I came out, I came out as gay because I didn't fully understand whether my attractions to women were really attractions or were they a part of me performing masculinity and what all of that was. And I've since come to deal with that and process that and eventually identify as pansexual and being attracted to the person rather than, you know, what they have in between their legs, you know. As long as they don't have weird ideas about who I'm supposed to be. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, you know, so I went back to school that next semester. And, you know, long story short, me and the pastor's kid um, became friends, one of them. And um, because I started to give him singing lessons, and he confided in me that he was gay and um, that he had same gender attractions. And um, I asked him how. I think I talked about all this. I cannot remember, but I think I did. But I asked him how he knew. He said he always knew. He had them since he was a teenager, since he started going through puberty. And that, you know, it was something that he struggled with. And he believed that it was standing in the way of his spirituality. And I asked him if he had talked to his father. He said no. And I was like, okay. I just asked. And, you know, we hung up from that conversation. I was real taken aback because he wasn't supposed to be that way he had two parents he had not and not only that he had been raised in this cult he had been raised in this lifestyle that I was trying to fit into so bad and he wasn't molested and he didn't have all the things that they said you're supposed to have in order to be gay and I was still young and ignorant so I was like how the hell does this end up happening? And that's when I started to realize, hold up. <laughs> this might just be how some niggas are. And maybe it ain't this, you know? And, and you know, I spoke to my mother about it once I knew. And my mother said, yeah, I knew from the time you were a toddler that you were going to be different. Now, I didn't know per se that it was going to be, you know, gay or you know, same gender loving, but I, I definitely knew that you were a different child all the way around. That you were sent here, you were completely different in your whole being. And my other cousin, my god sister, who used to babysit me, um, she told me the same thing. She's like, you were just so different. You just, the way that you were in your being, you were so different. And I was just like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay, you know, like maybe this is how some niggas are. And that just led me down a path of, like, personal research and navigating and finding my way. Um, and then I got a phone call one day from a person that the, that went, that was also in the cult who was secretly dating the pastor's son who told me that he was gay. And he told me, oh... We were on the phone last night and his dad came in and um, snatched the phone from him. And while he snatched the phone, I guess he saw something on the phone and then he beat him and I could hear the screaming in the background. 
I was like, beat him. He's like, yeah. And then we went to, he still let him come to Six Flags because we had plans to go to Six Flags. Um, And because it was paid for already, he still let him come. But he was grabbing his ribs and stuff. His ribs were fractured and like he was really beat up. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I could believe it because he was so adamant. He was so, he hated homosexuality so much. He spent hours preaching on it. Two and three hour sermons preaching on homosexuals alone. Mimicking them, walking sassy, trying to, you know, mimic feminine um, men and like, you know, making commentary. Have a whole show, like a whole spoof. Like that dude in Louisiana that be doing all that crazy yelling and shit, the white dude. Like worse than that, like... He was just switching and all this extra shit and all these mean, angry words. So I, I wasn't surprised, but I was like, I didn't know him to be that type of monster. I knew what he performed in the pulpit, but I did not know that it was enough where he would be physical. And then the young man who called me was like, it's weird because when he found out that, that his daughter was had a little lesbian relationship, he didn't react that way. But he reacted that way with his son? That's weird to me. And I was like, I'm never going back there. And he was like, but you got to come back. I was like, I'm never going back there. He was like, well, where are you going to go? Not there. What kind of weird shit is that? I'm like, I snapped. And he was like, well, you know, that's just the devil trying to play tricks on your mind. What, nigga? This man just beat the shit out of his son because he found out his son was gay. Like, that was supposed to change it. Like, weirdo shit. Particularly due to all of the foul shit that this nigga had done. You know, it's like, it was wild. It was wild. And I was like, I'm not going back. You know? And I think that summer... I began to deconstruct again. Um, I was reading a lot of books, reading a lot of materials, really studying materials. But I was so angry at him that I didn't even, um, you know, know what to do, like, with my anger. Like, I was so angry at him and I was angry at the church and I was resentful for all the hate that I carried myself just to start realizing that these motherfuckers were just this fucked up and I just didn't want to hear anything about church I didn't want to talk about God I didn't want to do anything I think I was like agnostic at that point I was like I don't want to hear anything about it I'm gonna live my life and I went the fuck off my senior year um I had a ball I cut the fuck up I drank everything I wanted to drink I think I was drunk Every day from Wednesday to Saturday. And then Sunday, I went to Gospel Choir. Um, Monday and Tuesday. Sunday, Monday and Tuesday, I studied and went to Gospel Choir on Sunday. And after that, I just turned up the whole week after that. Um, I enjoyed myself <laughs> throughout my senior year. And um, and I didn't really want anything to do with 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 God or church. I was done. I was like, man, these people sold me a pipe dream for years. You know, that's because I had not fully deconstructed it. I did not have the information that I have now. That's why it's imperative. Get you some books. If you are neurodivergent like me, sometimes audiobooks can help. Um, I have to really force myself into a position of like reading. Um, but yes, get you some books, read, get you an audible account. You know, listen to biblical literalism, a Gentile heresy. Um, there's a couple of other um, John Shelby Small books on there. There's a couple of other books. Get you some books. Read, research, um, meditate. You know, um, really think about the things that you know. Journal, journal too helps. Because all those things were really, like, I've always come back to those things. Journaling, reading, 
asking myself the important questions, really trying to figure out where my head is, um, and really just doing the work to make sure that I'm in the know, make sure that I have answers to myself, not for nobody else, to myself about what I, you know, realize is truth and is my truth. Um, and, you know, I, I think I shared this before, maybe three or four episodes ago, I shared that I, you know, so basically I had a friend that went to church that asked me to go to church with her. And I was like, girl, you know, I don't go to nobody's church. You can get out of here with that. And, but she told me the preacher was fine. And I ended up going and, and he preached about broken wings. And he said to somebody in here, his wings have been broken and they're trying to fly, but they they have so much anger and resentment with the church. And I was like, you know, it could be very vague. I didn't care. It just kind of tapped me. It, I think it tapped into my pain and my anger and my hatred for my former pastor and that cult and all of that. And um, it hit the right way. And, of course, I was walked up there with my angry self and he hugged me and he prayed for me. And, you know, I spent more time just kind of after that dealing with what I felt, placing my anger in the right place. Um, once I was able to place my anger appropriately, I knew who it was I needed to talk to. And I took my black ass home and I got, and I went to church. Um, I drove to church and I went and talked to that nigga. Sure did. Set up an appointment and I went and talked to him the pastor, and I said, I know who you are. He said, what you mean? I said, I know who you are. I saw, I, I know you beat your son. Cause he was gay, he said, what does that have to do with you? Everything to do with me. Cause you're a monster, just like my father. And we, and then, you know, we ended up having a sincere conversation. And one of the things that was very interesting to me, and I said, you know, I told him about the suicide thing. And, you know, the way he made me feel and how the gospel was supposed to be the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet every time I hear him preach, I feel like I'll never be good enough for God. And every time I hear him preach, I feel I hate myself more that I'd rather die than to come closer to God because of hearing him preach. Because if my God is if God is anything like him, then I don't want it. We had a hard conversation. And I remember him saying, that's not my intention. I'm just preaching what the word says. But that's how that biblical literalism be tripping y'all the fuck up. Be tripping y'all up because he's reading that shit literally with no context, no historical context. He don't have no seminary skills. He don't have none of that. And he's created a whole fundamentalist, ironclad, 88-page bylaws, having ass cult. Around that shit. Around literalism. And using and misusing the, the authority that he has over these people's lives. Well, he said he didn't, you know, that wasn't his intention. That wasn't his goal. So he got up there Sunday. He said, will you come back Sunday? I said, yeah, I'll come back. So I went back Sunday. And he got up there and he preached and, you know, and then he started talking a little bit and he said... You know, when I preach against homosexuality or different things, I, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to preach what the Bible says. But I just want you to know that, like, it comes from a place of love. And it was like a half-ass, you know, manipulative apology <laughs> about it. And, you know, one girl stood up, you know, afterwards and was like, you know, I want to thank you for saying that because I know God's calling me. Yeah, you know, she was a lesbian or whatever. She just, you know, told the whole church she was visiting and she was a lesbian and that how that touched her. And so I, I was back again. I started sticking around a little more, going to services, going to prayer meetings, doing all that stuff again. I was back. And, you know, and eventually I would end up leaving again. Um, and that last time I left, I never went back. 
I ended up leaving because I started now because I had had this very real conversation. I had confronted the the image of the thing. You know, as I always say, it's not your last hurt, it's your first hurt. I'd followed this man because he was a representation of everything I thought my father should have been. He demonized people for who they were. He was harsh. He, you know, he he was very sim- abusive, aggressive, um, shaming. And I thought that that was the energy I needed in order to make me be good. Be good enough. And confronting him was like confronting the man my father was when I was younger. Like my mother left my father literally because he was abusive to me. In every way that I went to this church to receive that very similar style of abuse in the form of spiritual leadership. So I had confronted this man. I'd seen who he was. We had had a conversation. And now... I had lost my loyalty to the the cult mindset because now I saw him. I'd been in college. My my brain had been open. I was a critical thinker, even more so, much more intelligent. I'm processing things. I'm noticing things. I'm watching things. I'm taking notes, giving very much Harriet the Spy. And I realized I started to see the structure for what it was, a complete cult of worshiping me and I've talked about it before his picture is everywhere his members have pictures of him hanging over their beds hanging over their living room pictures of him are plastered across the buses from every different location um I realized the situation I was in and I was like I've got to get out of here and I and I need to never come back because this is sick I started to just realize shit was sick and I got my ass up out of there. I grabbed my keys off the chair next to me. And I've never gone back. I've been asked to come back. And I've told them I'm never going back. And then after I left that final time, people started coming to me and telling me things that they knew. Um, sending me evidence, receipts, um, I, which I hold on to to this day. I originally held on to the receipts because I think I wanted to, if somebody ever asked me why I left, I wanted to constantly, I wanted to know the reason behind why I left. Um, so I kept my receipts. Now I just keep them just in case, you know, but I had a lot of receipts. I still have a lot of receipts, but I'm glad that one of the best things I could have done was that was, was to let that part of my life go. And now I can exist in any space religiously in the fullness of who I am. Um, you know, so I've grown so much since then. I'm going to leave off there. I left the cult for the last time. I would say I left there. Maybe I left. I tried to leave like three or four times before that. And that final time I left, it was because I had broken the, I had broken the power it had over me. I now knew that this man that had claimed that he was the only that he was God's apostle, that he was handpicked by God, that he had seen Jesus and that Jesus had revealed himself to him. And he was called to lead people, that man, God's man for the world and all that. Mm, Nope. I now knew who he was. And I had no reason (laughs) to sit under him and be miserable. Like I don't have to sit here and be miserable in this shit. You crazy. These people, these people crazy. And they crazy for worshiping your ass. Because you were a fucking human being with a whole lot of flaws. And, you know, seeing that, I was like, uh, I'm Gucci. I'm good. So, I'm going to leave off there. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, this has been uh, the Right Reverend Richie X. And this is Surviving Fundamentals. Surviving Fundamentalism. A podcast where if God ain't bigger than your Bible then you most likely, most definitely going to have a problem with this shit. Uh, Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.
so long. Farewell to you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to Surviving Fundamentalism with Richie X. This is the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely gonna have a problem with this shit. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, things you want me to talk about, definitely hit me up on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Surviving Fundamentalism or Instagram.com slash Richie at it again. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to tell a friend, tell your mama, tell your aunties, uh, tell some people that's just questioning, you know, get the people involved, run it up, run the numbers up, okay? And I will be back next week.